Hey guys, how's it going? Sunny D here. Thanks for tuning in to the YFYI podcast. On this episode, you're going to be listening to another uh, story time session where we're going to continue our study of the great McDonald's Corporation. I'm reading from the book Grinding It Out, The Making of McDonald's by Ray Kroc. And we're going to find out that opening one business um, isn't easy, but also now expanding and trying to have that consistency from location to location to location. And that's one of the things that Ray Kroc was adamant about getting right because he wanted to be able to deliver that consistent experience in every store that you went into. He also um, expands on his relationship with some of his great operators. Harry Sonborn is introduced on this episode who without really, we probably wouldn't be even having this conversation and really helps develop the concept of how they're going to expand McDonald's across the nation and eventually across the globe. So I really think you're going to enjoy this episode of Storytime and the McDonald's story. So thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast. We are live. 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 Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? What is going on? What is happening? How are you feeling? Hopefully you're feeling good. Hopefully you're excited to be here. It is a little after 8 a.m. We're going a little earlier today. Normally we're at 9 a.m. My goal, I was shooting for around 8 a.m., but had some work to get done. Uh, Normally we go at 9 a.m., starting a little earlier today. Got a busy day ahead in the salon. Our salons opened yesterday, pretty exciting stuff. And uh, today's our second day being open. So we're excited. We're excited to be back, back in black. And I'm excited to continue uh, the journey, continue story time with you guys. So if you're just getting on here, if you're on the Facebook, if you're on the Twitter, if you're on the Gram, wherever you're watching, uh, share the post, share the stream, share with somebody, invite some friends. Um, we're going to continue. This is a episode of story time. This is episode 34. So 34 times um, we've spent the mornings together. We've been we've gone through it, right? We've been through it. We've been through quarantine. Um, we're still some people are still in quarantine. We've been through coronavirus. Um, some people are we're still dealing with that, but we are going to continue to keep rolling, um, getting getting through coronavirus is one thing. You know that's uh, that's going to be an easy part of our lives. Uh, getting through life is going to be the challenge. So there's going to be way more than uh, just the coronavirus. There's going to be way more than just being. You know, a lot of us have been out of work. I mean, our salons were closed for a solid. Uh, two months. We hit two solid months of being closed. Uh, no revenues coming in. What does that look like? It doesn't look good. And so a lot of you guys out there are experiencing the same thing. And so I started Storytime um, with the idea of just reading you know, my books, the YFYI books, and sharing those with you. Um, your first year in the beauty industry and your first year in salon ownership. That's how Storytime started. Was me just, my plan was just to you know, read these two books to you, uh, my book series, and kind of maybe call it a day. But as we were going through and we went through both of those books completely, 
I was thinking, I was like, you know what? Maybe we'll keep story time going because a lot of people, I was getting a lot of response. People were enjoying it. Um, people were having a lot of fun with it. So I was like, well, maybe we'll keep story time going. And so I went into my library and I started pulling out some of the brands, some of the iconic brands that I love, some of the iconic brands that, um, that you know, that I know you've heard of. And we've been starting to go down that road. So what that road looks like, We've got companies like the Coca-Cola company that we're going to be reviewing. Ikea, Apple, McDonald's, Starbucks, uh, Patron. Uh, what else? What else? What else? McDonald's. Did I say McDonald's already? Um, we've got so many different companies. You know, I'm reading a book right now, you know, not on Storytime, but it'll probably eventually make it to Storytime on the Samsung company. Oh, it's unbelievable. Uh, just the things that, you know, we don't know the behind the scenes. Last week for story time, we went through the Ritz Carlton Hotel Company, which was amazing. I think, um, I mean, I took a ton away and these books, you know, the first time you read them, you know, it's like, you know, they're good. You know, the companies are amazing, but the first time you read them, there's little things that you pick up. And then the second time when you go back through them, there's a whole nother host of things um, that I'm like hearing that I didn't maybe catch the first time that I went through the book. So I always, you know, advise people and tell people, you know, go back through the book again and again and again, because each time you go back through it, you're going to hear something or maybe come across something that you don't remember from that first time. Um, so we're now going through the McDonald's company, the McDonald's corporation, as I should say, and I'm reading, I got to sneeze, hold on. Excuse me. I'm reading from the book Grinding It Out, which is the book is called Grinding It Out, The Making of McDonald's. And as I'm reading through this book, and this book is by Ray Kroc, and Ray Kroc is touted as the founder of McDonald's, although he didn't start McDonald's, the McDonald's brothers started McDonald's, but Ray Kroc is the visionary, the person who saw McDonald's for what it was and saw what it could be. What's going on? Good morning. Um, so that's where um, we're picking up the story. So in 1940, they started, the McDonald's brothers started the McDonald's restaurant. 15 cent hamburgers concept, 15 cent hamburgers, some fries, you know, a drink, and that's it. And, th and that was it. They weren't trying to do um, anything beyond that. And that was in 1940. Uh, Ray doesn't roll up on the scene, which we've been learning about until 1953, 54, because he has his own little company, his own little project. He's selling these multi-mixer milkshake machines to restaurants all over uh, the world. So throughout the United States, not the, I say the world, the, the United States really. So throughout the United States, he's selling these to restaurants and he finds out like this one um, customer that he has that keeps purchasing this, these, these things. He's like, what's going on here? So they have eight of them um, and they're all working at the same time and they're delivering these, uh, these milkshakes to people to go along with this hamburger and french fries. And the hamburgers are 15 cents. Whatever happened to that, McDonald's? Now they have the dollar menu and we think we're getting a, a deal. Well, they used to be 15 cents. Um, so that's what's going on there. And then he goes there and he sees this operation. It's unbelievable. Um, so we've been going through this story and you know he's now he's like, I gotta have one of these restaurants. 
you know, talks to them, says, hey, why don't you guys expand? They have no appetite for it. So he's like, well, and they're like, well, who would we get to do it? And so he's like, well, I'll do it. And yesterday um, where we left off, you know, he was getting that first store up and running and all the crazy things, even just the atmosphere, um, because he's in Chicago area and they're in California, even just switching up the atmosphere, you know, the weather, all those different things that affected the food, affected the layout, affected the build. I mean, it was just incredible to think like you don't think about that kind of stuff, but the story yesterday about going through with figuring out the french fries which the french fries was like is like their secret sauce and the process that they would go through to get these french fries to be like the perfect french fry and it didn't work initially so that was where you know right we left off with Ray's kind of banging his head up against the wall trying to figure out how to make this french fry thing work um and and we all today you know we see the results of a you know, a 70, you know, plus year journey to get where it is today. And then whether you like it or, or hate it, I mean, you can't deny the success of the company. Um, it's just a great, great story. So we're going to pick back up on uh, on Ray, see what's going on with his store. His very first store, his very first McDonald's and uh, see where he's going to take it. Now, keep in mind, like his whole approach to the McDonald's brothers was, I want to take this restaurant, this uh, perfect system that you guys have developed, and I want to take it, you know, at least nationwide and possibly beyond. So that's where Ray's mindset is. Ray is thinking big. And he's 52 years old, you guys, when he starts this uh, little McDonald's venture. So let's pick back up. Um, so he's got a, he's got his his groove on, he's figured out, you know, the French fry and he's figuring out like little things that, you know, that are really, you know, critical to making this operation work. So here we go. Harry Sonborn. That name on my appointment calendar in late May of 1955 was familiar yet strange. I remembered having talked to him on the telephone a few times about multi-mixer sales when he was vice president of Tasty Freeze. Now he'd call to tell me he had registered, I'm sorry, he had resigned, uh-oh, Harry quit. He had resigned from Tasty Freeze, sold all his stock, and he wanted to come work for me. I heard about your operation in Des Plaines, so I went out to look it over, he said. I can tell just by watching it from across the street that you've got a winner there, Mr. Croc, and I'd like to be a part of your organization. Call me Ray, I told him. I'd be interested in chatting with you, but I must tell you that I'm not in a position to hire anyone. I'd like to try and change your mind about that, Ray, he said, so we arranged a time to meet in my office. Truthfully, I knew I needed help, but I also knew that I couldn't afford it. Prince Castle Sales was funding my entire operation, paying my salary, and that of June Martino in addition to most of the cost involved in setting up my new franchise system. Then I had the added burden of buying out the Fragelac interest in Cook County to the tune of $25,000. My share of the profit from the Des Plaines store after splitting with Art Jacobs didn't leave much. Moreover, from my experience in opening that store, 
I could foresee that unless I moved a lot faster, expenses were going to gobble up my $950 license fees long before a franchise could complete its building, generate business, and start running 1.9% of its sales to me. I was spreading myself far too thin as it was, so the only way to speed up the franchising process would be to hire someone to help. I was damned if I did, doomed if I didn't. And so keep in mind, you guys, as he's getting this thing going, what's happening out there in the Dominican Republic, what up? Um, as he's getting this business going, right, he still has his, his Prince Castle sales, his multi-mixer business. So he's using, that's his main flow. And I talk a lot about, you know, multiple flows of income. So he's using the flow from his main business to fund his new McDonald's venture and to get this first restaurant going. He's making no money, right? They build this thing out. He runs into a lot of hiccups along the way, making no money. So the thought process there is expand, right? Versus contract. He can't really contract. He's at one store. Expand to be able to make because the profit margins are small. He's paying the licensing fee. So expand in order to try to make a dollar. That's his, his thought process. Harry Sonborn, back to the story. Harry Sonborn was 39 years old when he came in to see me. He was almost six feet but looked taller because of a kind of awkward Lincoln-esque angularity about him. He wore his hair cropped in a German military cut that suited the disciplined intensity of his manner. We found that we talked the same language concerning the franchise business and its potential. Obviously, as Harry said, it was a business fraught with a great deal of danger. Developing a franchise system and enforcing high standards would be difficult. Also, of course, there was the growing specter of government regulation. As we discussed these things, it became evident to me that Harry was exactly the man I needed to help me get McDonald's going. The problem remained, though, as I explained to him once more, that I could not afford to hire him. His answer was that he would go home and figure out the lowest possible salary he could take and still be able to support his family, then he'd get back to me. I had to admire his persistence and also the resolve he had that he would devote every working minute to McDonald's, 24 hours a day if necessary. I believed him. It was exactly the way I felt and June Martino too. All my thoughts led to the conclusion that I had to hire Harry. I could visualize him handling finance while June ran the office and I was responsible for operations and new development. With that sort of setup, we could move ahead rapidly, which was the only way to go. In the first place, I had to mobilize my franchise sales and start generating some cash flow. Secondly, I was in the field by myself at the moment, but I knew that others would soon be jumping in to compete. And I wanted to take full advantage of my head start. So that's what we call first mover advantage. I'm gonna jump in here for a second. So he knows, right, he's on to something. Harry sees it. Harry's like, I'm gonna work for free. Now think about this. This guy was the head of another company He's quitting that company to come work for Ray and this new McDonald's company for free, right? A lot of people would never work for free. If I asked you right now, would you work for free? Most people say no. Well, some people actually right now because of the coronavirus, they probably would work for free uh, just to get to have something to do. But this guy's willing to come in. He's like, I'm going to figure out what can be the lowest you could pay me just so I can take care of my family. 
I'm willing to work for free because he sees this potential in this new business, this new McDonald's business. Um, it's going to go somewhere. He, he sees it. And then Ray's got to get a head start because nobody else has started. Like no other you know, hamburger stands and things aren't really happening, but he knows people are coming. So he's trying to get a head start on the competition or not even get a head start, keep the head start that he already has on the competition. So let's get back in the story. In a few days, Harry called back and said he could come to work for $100 a week take home pay. It was an offer I couldn't refuse. Good thing for McDonald's that I didn't because the company could never have grown as it did without the unique vision of Harry Sonborn. Harry was born in Evansville, Indiana. His parents died when he was very young and he was brought up by an uncle who had a men's clothing factory in New York. Harry loved New York City. He grew up there in that climate of reverence for literature and art that is typical of so many Jewish families. But somehow after college, at the University of Wisconsin, he landed in Chicago to stay. He never lost that New York aloofness, though, and this made me bristle sometimes. Yet I had to admire the way he studied the legal and financial problems we were steaming into. He immersed himself in stacks of books and learned the ins and outs of contracts and financial maneuvers as well as the lawyers and the bankers. We were breaking new ground. We had to make a lot of fundamental decisions that we would live with for years to come. This is the most joyous kind of executive experience. It's thrilling to see your creation grow. It's dangerous, of course, because a small mistake can be absolutely ruinous. But in my definition, an executive is a person who rarely makes mistakes. One of the basic decisions I made in this period affected the heart of my franchise system and how it would develop. It was that the corporation was not going to get involved in being a supplier for its operators. My belief was that I had to help the individual operator succeed in every way I could. His success would ensure my success, but I couldn't do that and at the same time treat him as a customer. There is a basic conflict in trying to treat a man as a partner on the one hand while selling him something at a profit on the other. Once you get into the supply business, you become more concerned about what you are making on sales to your franchisee than with how his sales are doing. The temptation could become very strong to dilute the quality of what you are selling him in order to increase your profit. This would have a negative effect on your franchisee's business and ultimately, of course, on yours. Many franchise systems came along after us and tried to be suppliers and they got into severe business and financial difficulty. Our method enabled us to build a sophisticated system of purchasing that allows the operator to get his supplies at rock bottom prices. As it turned out, my instinct helped us avoid the antitrust problems some other franchise operations got into. Another judgment I made early in the game and enforced through the years was that there would be no pay telephones, no jukeboxes, no vending machine of any kind in McDonald's restaurants. Many times operators have been tempted by the side income some of these machines offer and they have questioned my decision. But I've stood firm. All of those things create unproductive traffic in a store and encourage loitering that can disrupt your customers. This would downgrade the family image we wanted to create for McDonald's. 
Furthermore, in some areas, the vending machines were controlled by the crime syndicate, and I wanted no part of that. Our first three franchises we sold in Fresno, Los Angeles, and Reseda, California. Those stores opened the year after the Dust Plains operation got started. It was easier to swing deals in California because landlords could be shown the successful operation the McDonald brothers had in San Bernardino and consequently were more readily persuaded to put up our kind of building for lease to many to my franchisees. So he's got a little bit of that that uh, track record. You know, in Des Plains, that was his like um, what Ray called his uh, his concept store. So he's built he built that concept store. He's like, this is what it's going to look like. But he also still has the McDonald brothers, who had the very first restaurant out there in San Bernardino, California. So that helps, right? It's called um, proof of concept, right? So he's got two stores, you know, that he can point to, but one that's in the neighborhood. So that helps him get some favorable deals out there in California. It was painfully slow going, like trying to ice skate on bare concrete, but we worked like mad. And in the last eight months of 1956, we opened eight stores, only one of them in California. So think about that from 55, right? He get, he's got his concept going and he's building that out. And now in 56, we're going into um, the last eight months opening eight stores. That's a pretty good, uh, good clip. That's pretty good growth. <clears throat> the first franchise in the Midwest was in Waukegan, Illinois, a city on the shore of Lake Michigan, about 40 miles north of Chicago. It was an incredible experience. The landlord was a banker, and he was very skeptical about the prospects of our 15-cent hamburger business. He really didn't think our operator would be able to make the rent. The franchisee was doubtful too. I asked Ed MacLuckey to go up and help him open the store, and he ordered all the supplies. Before long, I got a phone call from the operator, and he was madder than a hornet. You guys are trying to ruin me, he yelled. MacLuckey has got more meat and buns in this place than I'll be able to use in a month. My, how he raged. But that store took off like a barn fire the day it opened, May 24th, 1956, and Ed had to make a panic run back to Des Plaines store to borrow enough meat and buns to get Waukegan through the weekend. The operator, needless to say, was happy to eat his words. The owner of the real estate, however, was convinced that I pulled a fast one on him. I don't think a day of that 20-year lease passed that he didn't wish he demanded a lot more. Of course, beyond my faith in the fast food concept, I had no better idea than he did about how the location was going to do. I've always dealt fairly in business, even when I believed someone was trying to take advantage of me. That's one reason I have had to grind away incessantly to achieve success. In some ways, I guess I'm naive. I always take a man at his word unless he's given me a reason not to. And I've worked out many a satisfactory deal on the strength of a handshake. On the other hand, I've been taken to the cleaners often enough to make me a certified cynic. But I'm just too naturally cheerful to play the role, to play that role for long, even after dealing with the likes of Clem Bohr. 
Clem was one of the more charming con men I met when we were building McDonald's. He was a contractor from Wisconsin and he had approached Harry Somborn with a proposal that sounded rather appealing. Bohr said he wanted to travel around and find good locations for McDonald's restaurants in different parts of the country. He would purchase the land and have his firm erect a building on it, which he would then lease to us. We agreed and Bohr marched off into the suburbs of distant cities to look for land. Harry and I gave little further thought to Clem Bohr because we were too busy with our own projects. The biggest of these was the move that made possible McDonald's dramatic growth. It started our evolution as a company whose business was developing restaurants and selling franchises to operate them. We agreed that we wanted McDonald's to be more than just a name used by many different people. We wanted to build a restaurant system that would be known for food of consistently high quality and uniform methods of preparation. Our aim, of course, was to ensure repeat business based on the system's reputation rather than on the quality of a single store or operator. This would require a continuing program of educating and assisting operators and a constant review of their performance. It would also require a full-time program of research and development. I knew in my bones that the key to uniformity would be in our ability to provide techniques of preparation that operators would accept because they were superior to methods they could dream up for themselves. But research and development and a staff to supervise and service operators effectively takes money. So as you're kind of listening in on this, what's going on here, right? He's seeing, okay, we need to develop a system and we need to develop a training system and that word consistency. You know, if you're building a business and then you're thinking you're gonna duplicate that business or you wanna expand or you want that business to work with or without you, you have to have a system. You have to develop that system, system of training, how things are gonna operate, how things are gonna run. You know, I think about that in, in my own businesses, having different businesses in different cities and different states. I want, whenever a guest comes in, I want them to have that same experience. So I had to develop what that experience looks like, then be able to train it, then be able to teach people to train it, and so we can, so on and so forth. So that's where Ray's at, knowing that they want to expand and have this operation uh, continue to run and develop in that system of training, um, which is going to be huge. Back to the story. The experience of Tasty Freeze and Dairy Queen, two prominent franchising firms in the country at that time, and our own sense of direction with the units in California, led to the conclusion that the only practical way for McDonald's to grow as we envision would be for us to develop the restaurants ourselves. Being in the restaurant development business would mean that we could plan a strong system in which locations could be developed by McDonald's as part of an overall long-range nationwide marketing program. That idea was exciting. Wow. It appealed to my salesman instinct because obviously it would make the right to operate a McDonald's restaurant far more valuable to a potential operator than if we were franchising only a name. But building dream castles was one thing. Actually getting into the restaurant development business was a seemingly insurmountable problem. Harry's solution, the formation of Franchise Realty Corporation, was to my mind a stroke of financing genius. 
Franchise Realty was a supreme example of a guy putting his money where his mouth is. <clears throat> I did a lot of talking about the ideal way to develop McDonald's with a kind of quality and uniformity that would ensure our success. And when Harry came up with a way to make it possible, I backed it by going into Hawk for everything I had. My house, my car, you name it. Talk about grinding it out. I felt like Samson with a fresh haircut. But that dream of what the company could be sustained me. We started Franchise Realty Corporation with $1,000 paid in capital, and Harry parlayed that cash investment into something like $170 million worth of real estate. His idea, simply put, was that we would induce a property owner to lease us his land on a subordinated basis. That is, he would take back a second mortgage so that we could go to a lending institution, in the early days it was a bank, and arrange a first mortgage on the building. The landlord would subordinate his land to the building. I must admit that I was a bit skeptical. Why would a landlord want to do that? But I let Harry plunge ahead without interference. So their idea now is he's kind of developing this, right? Go through that again. So the idea, right? So they're going to get a property owner to lease them the land. And then they would take back a second mortgage, you know, that they could go to the lending institution and arrange a first mortgage on the building, right? So they're basically leasing the land and then they're getting the building and then they're going to lease the building. And that was kind of the idea which really kind of started this, this whole um, developing restaurant concept versus just here's the name, go do your thing. Now we're going to say here's the restaurant, then you can go do your thing. So they're going to develop the whole thing, you know, kind of like a turnkey solution, a restaurant in a box, a business in a box. Uh, that's what they're going for. So Harry Sonborn comes up with that idea and here they go. I believe that if you hire a man to do a job, you ought to get out of the way and let him do it. If you doubt his ability, you shouldn't have hired him in the first place. I knew that Harry had schooled himself thoroughly in the fundamentals of leasing agreements. In addition to the volumes he poured over, he hired a consultant from Washington, D.C., an expert in the real estate <clears throat> deals named Dreyfus. Harry brought his, this fellow to Chicago and spent a week talking to him at $300 a day. June Martino was afraid I was going to blow my top and throw Harry and his consultant both into the street. But that was the farthest thing from my mind. I know that you have to spend money to make money. And as far as I was concerned, Harry was simply doing the job I'd hired him to do. One of the reasons his subordinated lease idea would work so well was that in the late 50s, we didn't have the proliferation of franchise operations and the fierce competition for commercial fringe property that developed in the course of the next 20 years. Another reason was that both Harry and I were pretty good salesmen, and we could romance a property owner with the notion of earning at least a little something from his vacant land, right? So they'll find these plots of land you know, and the owner's looking at it like, yeah, something's better than nothing. And so they're like willing to go along with it. So what does all that take? 
You know, it takes, number one, is courage, right? Yes, they needed money and they had to figure out how to do that, but they had to have the courage and they had to have the, um, I guess you could even say audacity to come up with the idea that they're gonna convince owners to just lease them the land and then they're gonna build and then release the property that's on the land. You know, so that's a little bit of uh, ingenuity for sure. This was the beginning of real income for McDonald's. Harry devised a formula for the monthly payments being made by our operators that paid our own mortgage and other expenses plus a profit. We received this set monthly minimum or a percentage of the volume the operator did, whichever was greater. After a time, we began realizing substantial revenues from the formula, and we could see that we were merely nibbling around the edges of this huge hamburger frontier we were exploring. I recall that Harry made a trip to San Bernardino about the time we were really starting to roll, and Dick McDonald asked him what he thought the future of McDonald's would be. Harry told him that one day this company would be bigger than F.W. Woolworth. Dick really did a double take at that. He told me later, I thought you had a genuine nut on your hands, Ray. But Harry knew exactly where he wanted to go and he knew how to get there. In one of the impromptu meetings that Harry, June, and I frequently had after hours in the office, or in my home, Harry said, we're doing fine with these bank mortgages, but if we are to gain any stature in the financial community, we are going to have to get some big institutional investors to back us. I agreed, and Harry went after the insurance companies. The first deal he made was with All American Life Insurance Company in Chicago. They agreed to arrange a number of mortgages for us. Then he succeeded in lining up Central Standard Life, also in Chicago. This was great news. We were, were moving ahead, gathering momentum. <coughs> we could see the day that, would start, that we would start making a profit. I felt deeply indebted to Harry and June. They worked tirelessly and I knew that both of them were neglecting their family obligations completely so that they could stay on top of things in our rapidly building operation. June later told me that all the while her two boys were growing up, she never made it to one of their birthday parties or graduation ceremonies. And there were several times that she had to be in the office on Christmas. I knew what she and Harry were doing because I was in the same boat. It was a little easier for me, perhaps, because of the continuing Cold War between Ethel, my daughter, and me. My total com <clears throat> commitment to business had long since been established in my home. But that made me feel all the more grateful toward Harry and June. I couldn't give them raises to compensate them for their past efforts, but I could make sure that they would be rewarded when McDonald's became one of the country's major companies which I never doubted it would. I gave them stock, 10% to June and 20% to Harry, and ultimately it would make them rich. At the time, of course, Chicago Transit Authority tokens would have been worth more, <laughs> right? So he's paying in stock, and this is something companies do um, still today. You know, a lot of companies in the beginning, <clears throat> when they're hiring key talent or paying people, are, are cash poor. 
right? But they're stock rich because you form a corporation, you have so much stock. So people get paid in stock. And then when that company makes it, if that company makes it, right, then they can cash out. And so, you know, he knows he's on the something. And I'm pretty sure that they felt he's on the something or they wouldn't have been hanging with him. And so they agree. They're like, yeah, all right, pay, you know, pay us in stock. So he's giving them stock, which at that time isn't worth anything because the company's just getting going. But him being the visionary and them understanding, you know, and seeing the potential of how fast it is growing, um, they're like probably more than happy to take that stock versus the money. All right, so let's get <clears throat> let's get into this uh, into this last little bit here. Every once in a while, when I walked past Harry's office, I would ask, by the way, Harry, what do you hear from Clem Bohr? Just had a phone call from him the other day, Harry would say. He seems to be cooking with gas. He's got a location in Cleveland that he'll start building on any day now. Next, Bohr got a site in Wisconsin, and then we had reports that he'd acquired two pieces of property in downstate Illinois. Each time I got one of these bulletins, I'd say, cripes, that's great, Harry, wonderful. And we talk about what a terrific guy Clem Bohr was. Cooking with gas was a popular expression at the time, but it was an in-joke with us. When somebody was cooking with gas around our place, it meant that he was really doing everything right. This stemmed from our experience in patterning our stores on the plans provided by the McDonald's brothers. Jim Schindler insisted on using gas units for making french fries instead of the electric fryers the McDonald's boys were using. Gas proved to be more efficient for this purpose. It was cheaper and we got a better product. So we tried to cook with gas in all our operations at McDonald's. The experience with the Waukegan store and the others we opened during the summer and fall of 1956 brought home to me the fact that I needed a good operations man in corporate headquarters. I was committed in each franchise agreement to furnish the licensee with experienced help to train his crew and get the McDonald's system working in his store. I couldn't afford to bring Art Bender from California each time and I couldn't spare Ed McLukey from the Des Plaines store very often, so I had to give some of the operators a $100 discount in lieu of the promised assistance. This was not good at all, because insistence on quality has to be emphasized in every procedure, and every crew member must be drilled in the McDonald's method of providing service. These basic elements will ensure success for a store unless its location is unspeakably bad, and we have had only a few instances of that in more than 20 years. But the fundamentals do not spring forth self-evident and active from the brow of every former grocery clerk, soda jerk, military man, or specialist, and one of the hundreds of other callings who join the ranks of McDonald's operators. Quite the contrary, the basics have to be stressed over and over. If I had a brick for every time I've repeated the phrase QSCNV, quality, service, cleanliness, and value, I think 
I'd probably be able to bridge the Atlantic Ocean with them. And the operators need the stress on fundamentals as much as their managers and crews. This is especially true of a new location. So I needed someone to handle operations. Harry and June agreed, but since they didn't come into contact with the day-to-day -day routine in stores as I did, they were at a loss for suggestions. God, you'd need a real dynamo, Ray, said June Martino. You haven't got anybody with the experience of Art Bender or Ed MacLukey. Who could you get? Never mind, I assured her. I think I know just the guy. And that, my friends, is a called a cliffhanger. We're going to end right there. That's a cliffhanger. So uh, we're, getting, we're getting into it now. You know, the, the system's working. The McDonald's is running. They're expanding locations. They got this concept of the real estate, working with the landowners, getting them to lease them the land so they can build the building and lease the stores on top of. So that's really where that McDonald's and the franchise realty company, the McDonald's system, uh, but now we're moving towards operations. So as you can see, as you know, Ray is building this business, you know, going from <clears throat> figuring out that one store, figuring out how to do the french fries properly, now getting into, we got that going, we have multiple locations, now we gotta really refine and fine tune. So you can still be working on it, you know, he's not like I've got it, you know, ironed out. I've got it completely figured out. He's still working on it. So it's okay if your uh, business is open. You know, maybe right now if your business is paused because of Corona, now's the time to really take a good look at all your systems and see where can you tweak, where can you fine tune, where can you refine things. Um, if you're going to be going into business or you're building a new business, know that yes, you want to have it designed and the concept design, but once you start operating just like he did and the mcdonald's brothers had that first restaurant for over 10 years but just like ray when he got that concept going that restaurant in des plains and then he was going into number two three four five six he's still working on refining and tweaking and figuring things out so it's okay and you will continue because it's a living and breathing thing you will continue to build um design uh reiterate kind of things and tweak things as your business grows just like he's doing um, so that's our episode for today you guys that's story time um, tomorrow we've got another episode in this series on mcdonald's grinding it out the making the building really but the making of mcdonald's by ray crock which we're uh, reading through this week studying this brand so i'll be back with you guys tomorrow morning um, for another episode and look forward to having you guys back Make sure you share this with a friend, share this with a colleague, bring some people to story time. Um, we're coming live every morning, uh, Monday through Friday, as we're going through these brand studies. So thank you guys for being here. Uh, thanks for tuning in today. Um, thanks for watching. And you can catch all the episodes. They're on my Facebook pages. They're also um, in podcast form. Right, if you're on Twitter, Instagram, wherever you're at, listening or watching this right now, um, they're also in podcast form. So you just go to yfyipodcast.com and you can listen to all the previous episodes on my YFYI book series that I read through, the Storytime episodes on the Ritz Carlton Hotel Company, and the past three episodes, which now will be four episodes on the McDonald's Corporation. So check those out at yfyipodcast.com. 
www.thinkingmusicmarketing.com. And once again, you guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And I'll see you on the next episode of Storytime. Hey guys, Sunny here again. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Uh, some of my key takeaways, and I'm not sure what yours are, I'd love to hear about them, but just, you know, partnerships and being able to let people do their job and getting out of the way, you know, not micromanaging. I know when you have a project or you have a business that you're starting, it's like your baby, it's like your precious little thing. You don't want to let um, anybody mess with it. But Ray's ability to recognize um, Harry's genius and let him really do his thing and not get in his way uh, really helped set them up. And now they have this, you know, this concept that they can build on literally and figuratively speaking. So I'm excited to get back tomorrow with you guys for another episode of Storytime as we continue the study of the great McDonald's company and continue studying and grinding it out, the making of McDonald's by Ray Kroc and learn um, just how we could take some of these things, some of these ideas, maybe even just one of these ideas into our own business, into our own venture and into our own you know, formulation as we build our empires. So thanks again for tuning in to the YFY podcast. For all future past and current episodes, go to yfyipodcast.com. You can take me on the go. You can listen to the past ones. We have some great brands that we've been studying and will continue to study. So check those episodes out over there and I look forward to talking to you guys next time. And remember, this is the podcast where you come to learn how to build your business right once or else you will be doomed to have to build it Again, thanks for listening and I'll talk to you soon.